This is LEC Online Church. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. We are embarking this morning on a new sermon series that we plan to be involved with through the summer. There will be a continuation of this sermon series uh, all the way into August. We've certainly been praying, seeking, fasting, and asking God to give us direction. I believe this is a very important moment for Lake Erie Church. I believe these messages that Pastor Dustin and I will be sharing over the next nine, ten weeks are very important, not only to us corporately, but to us individually. I tell you right up front, these are going to be challenging. Next week, it's going to be one of the harder sermons that I think I've ever preached. It's challenging because God is calling us to go somewhere. And you cannot go where God is calling you to go without being willing to look inside of yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to examine you. So my prayer is that God will open up our eyes and our hearts to fresh revelation about who He has called us to be as a people and who He has called us to be as a church. We've been in Madison now since January 16. I'm more convinced this morning than I was that day. And my leaders will tell you I've been pretty convinced for a long time. But I'm more convinced this morning that God sent us here to this town. I believe that we are a voice. I believe that we are a light. I believe that we have a calling and a mission to this community. I can't explain all of it to you, but I can see parts of it. And it's coming to pass. And though I would never consider myself as noble as others, I can tell you I won't live long enough to see all of it. But it's coming. If the Lord tarries. God has raised up this church for a divine purpose. More than six, almost six decades. Six generations of people. For a holy purpose. And this summer, I believe God is going to find out how committed we really are. Whether we will be as those who have chosen to, to carry the cross and walk in the fullness of His grace and purpose, or whether we will just play a religious game and go through the motions. My prayer is that God will do something very powerful in your life, my life, in the weeks that are ahead. Maybe this is a good prayer to pray right here. Lord, teach me everything that I need to learn. Show me everything that I need to see. Cause me to walk close to you. I believe God would answer that prayer. I want you to bow your heads and we're going to pray. 
Father, I thank you for where we are this morning. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be the pastor of this church. I thank you for where we're going. I thank you for where we've been. And I thank you, Lord, that you have preserved us to this time. Now I pray humbly, sincerely today, speak to us by your word. Somebody in this room today needs Jesus. Somebody in this room is getting a word from the Lord today. Help us to hear you. Help us to receive you. And if there's anybody here, Lord, that has not made that sincere commitment, regardless of their church experience, but they've never sold out to you. Let today be that day. In Jesus' name. Open your Bibles this morning with me, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 5. I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first 12 verses. So stand with me if you would. The words will also be on the screen for those of you that don't have a Bible. We're looking, we're calling this series Counter-Cultural. Turn to your neighbor and say Counter-Cultural. Not cross-cultural, counter-cultural. We really believe in what we're about to do. This is going to be Matthew chapter, chapters 5, 6, and 7. How many of you were able this week to kind of read through that, kind of get your mind around? There we go. Good. Thank you. It'll do you good to read 111 verses, which will be the foundation of all the messages that we're going to have. Today's message Pastor Dustin and I have agreed that today's message is called Lucky are the Unlucky. Lucky are the Unlucky. Beginning with verse 1. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Verse 3. God blesses those who are poor. Say blessed. And realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 4. God blesses those who mourn. Say blessed. For they will be comforted. Verse 5. God blesses those who are humble. Say blessed. For they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Say blessed. For they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, say blessed, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, say blessed, for they shall see God. Verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, say blessed, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, say blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. Say what? No, say what? 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. You ever been lied upon? God blessed you. God blessed you to be lied upon. What? When they lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. All right, watch out. Here we go. Be happy about it. When people persecute you, mock you, and lie about you and say evil things about you, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You may be seated. This passage is one of five very unique blocks of teaching that Je uh, teachings of Jesus that are recorded in the book of Matthew. And when I read this section several several months ago and started preparing these series, the question that I kept asking myself, and I still do, how do we apply what we just read? You know, it's one thing to read the Bible. It's something else to grab hold of it. It's something else to know how to apply that. And that's the, that's the central question of all Scripture. When you read the Scripture, when you hear the Scripture taught, when you hear the Scripture preached, how should I apply what I'm hearing? What do I do with this? And I'm committed through the sermons that I'm going to be preaching, that we're going to be preaching, that we're going to try to answer that question. What do we do with this? How do we live this out? You know, sometimes the Bible can be very confusing. And if you've never been confused by the Bible, then you probably haven't read very much of it. So here's, here's a starting point for us. Here at Lake Erie Church, as one of our fundamental core values, we say this. We believe in the whole Bible... Rightly divided. We believe in the whole book. We believe it was all divinely inspired. We believe this is God's word. We believe in the whole Bible, rightly divided. The New Testament is the only rule for government and discipline. So what it means is, is that we believe in the whole book and we rightly divide the book. Now we've talked about this some when it comes to customs and rules and regulations that were, were involved with different kinds of people. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand how to rightly divide. It's the inspiration of Scripture that helps us to rightly divide. So when I'm reading this passage that I'm speaking to you about this morning, I'm researching to try to figure out how historically the church has applied these 12, 13 verses. Because there's some stuff in these 13 verses that will be difficult to understand if it's not rightly divided. You understand that point? So I found four historical notations. In the early church, we're talking about the first several centuries of the church, they favored a literal interpretation, but only to certain classes of Christians. In other words, they believe that it should be taken literally just as it is written. 
but that it only applies to certain classes of Christians. And this proved to be very problematic in the early church. There were some, number two, that saw it as being applied very literally to every Christian. In other words, every Christian, this is applied very literally to your life. Still others saw it as a legalistic application with its aim to be provoking us to repentance. What does that mean? It means think guilt. That it was designed to make you feel guilty. That you should feel shameful of the way that you live because it is a very legalistic application. Fourthly, some argued that the demands of this sermon that Jesus preached were not to be taken literally, but that in fact Jesus was concerned about the inward disposition of the hearers. In other words, he's saying things because he's trying to get at another point rather than your outward conduct. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe there's a little bit of truth on every one of those. I believe that when you look at these teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7, you see a little bit of truth in every one of those explanations. So as we approach these three chapters, we have to ask ourselves, what is Christ saying to us? What is He trying to do? What does He want us to do with these words? For example, when you read verse 48, in chapter 5, if you have your Bible, go over and look at verse 40, 48. It's clear from verse 48 that these rules, these teachings are so strict that it is not likely that there is a human being on the earth who will be able to completely obey them. So what is the response? The response is that these teachings drive us to the grace and the mercy of God. That we cannot save ourselves by keeping the rules. We will never be able to get to a relationship with God by merely keeping the rules. And therefore we must fall on the grace and the mercy of God for our salvation. That you're not going to be saved because you keep the Ten Commandments. You're not going to be saved because you're able to check off every one of the rules in these scriptures. But the scriptures are designed to drive you to an understanding that only in Jesus, only in the cross, do you find salvation. Only in the mercy of God. Let me give you another example. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said to the disciples, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. And the disciples went, what? And then they said, well, Lord, if that's true, how then will anybody be saved? If it's about keeping rules, if it's about being able to check off everything, how's any of us going to get there? And all week long as I've been trying to make sure that I prepared my words so that you would understand. I keep coming back, Miss Tracy, to the scripture in which the prophet said, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. If your hope and salvation isn't how good you live, you're in trouble. 
If your hope for heaven is that you're going to keep all the rules, you're in trouble. Only by the blood of Jesus, only by the grace of God are we saved. And this, my brothers and sisters, is the heart of everything that we will preach over the next 10 weeks. And if we can't understand this, it's not likely that we are able to understand who Jesus is. Because in, in looking at this passage, it's what you realize is that Jesus wants these people to understand you will never do enough good things to get it right. There's never going to be enough of you. You're never going to be strong enough. You're going to always have to depend on the mercy and the grace of God. And only by His mercy can you be saved. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 7. It's on the screen. Verse 21, He said, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Notice this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and we performed miracles in your name. But I reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. What's he saying? He's saying that God is not looking for you to perform. He's not looking for you to, med, to, to keep a set of rules. That's not what Jesus came for. And it's, it's startling to realize that there are people who think that because they do certain things that God is happy about it. That's what he's saying. These people have cast out devils. They've, they've spoken in my name. They've prophesied and preached in my name. But I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with them. And that's the point of all of our talking, that you must understand what Jesus is saying. What he's trying to let you know. What he came to do. And I realize that it's harsh. But here's the wake-up call for us. We must always pursue Jesus. I'll say it again. We must always pursue Jesus. Not rules, not church, not religion, but Jesus. We must always make it about Jesus. We must always be about chasing after Jesus and building our life on Him. He must be our ultimate I said this a few weeks ago and I thought it was good enough I'd put it back in another sermon. Jesus is not the pathway to your destination. He is the destination. And when you give your life to Jesus, listen to me. Some of you gave your heart to the Lord last week. Listen to me. When you give your heart to Jesus, you're not just adding to your already life. It's not like putting salad dressing on the salad. Because when you get Jesus, you get the full meal. You're not adding him as a compliment to who you are. You are exchanging the life that you have and you're taking on the life that he has given you. Jesus 
I'm so hungry. Listen, listen to my heart this morning. I'm so hungry for Lake Erie Church. I'm so hungry for you and me and for this community to know Jesus, to experience Jesus. Because I think that what we do a lot here, if you'll allow me to be honest with you, I think a lot of us presume Jesus. Because we've always gone to church. We know how to do it. We know how to put it on. We know when to raise our hands. We know when to clap. But there's no life. There's no connection. There's no joy. We presume Jesus because we've always done religion with Jesus. We don't have a relationship with Him. He is not the joy of our life. He is not the pursuit of who we are. And so therefore we just come and do what we do because that's what we do. Now listen, I make no... I make no Apology for this fact that what I'm preaching to you this morning is culturally counter, counter-culturally to what you hear from some. Because it's become so easy to sit through sermon after sermon and the Word of God never changes the way we live. The Word of God never changes the way we treat our wife or our husband. The Word of God never changes the rules about how we raise our kids. The Word of God never changes. The work of God never changes the kind of people that we are. I told the staff the other day, we're like Ford salesmen driving Chevys. We come on Sunday morning and we have a religious spirit, but we go back to work. And nobody can tell the difference between us and anybody else. Because there's no change in what God wants from us. What Jesus is asking for us is that, and you'll hear more from Pastor Dustin next week. He's asking us to be light in a world of darkness. He's asking there to be such a distinction about our lives and about who we are. So that when the world sees us, they'll say, they're believers. Those are Christian people. Not because they're affiliated with a, a political party or because they have a particular social stand. That doesn't define us as Christians. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you that what defines us as Christians is the fact that we love each other. What defines us as believers is that we have love one for another. In a world of hatred, in a world of, of, of animosity and, and, and where we despise people who don't agree with us. And we go to social media and we scream and we holler and we think that Jesus is happy about it. And we miss the point that nobody will recognize you as a Christian because of what you write on Facebook. Nobody identifies. In fact, Jesus is getting a black eye on social media because we're using his name to drive our own agendas and we're not pursuing him for who he is. It's Jesus in this countercultural life that Jesus is calling you and I to live. It's going to look so crazy to the world 
me give you an example. Verse 43 of chapter 5, it'll be on the screen. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. I'm telling you, that's hard. And if you've got that right, could you come and let me shake your hand? I just want to shake somebody's hand that can do that. Ever tried to pray for somebody who hated you, who was trying to hurt you? My mother was asked that question one time. She said, have you ever prayed for somebody who, who hates you? And she said, I've tried. I usually find myself quoting that verse of scripture that says, Lord, heap coals of fire on their head. goes on to say for he makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good he sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you only love those that love you what reward have you don't even the tax collectors do the same as they greet your brethren talk about church folk what if what do you do more than others don't even the tax collectors the most evil wicked despicable people that you know don't they do so but he finishes by saying, therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So by what authority could Jesus make that statement? Well, let me give you one. He came from the other side to earth. So he knows what it's like over there. And he's trying to tell you about the kind of people that are going over there. Not the people who say, Lord, Lord. Not people who do, do demonstrative, impressive things. But people that can pray for their enemies. And love those that despitefully use them. Jesus comes from the other side and says, let me tell you about that world over there. It's a different world. It's a different way. And in order to get there, you have to be willing to accept a different way. Different from the culture in which you were raised. Different from the culture in which you live. And despite what other people are saying. Jesus had the authority to do that. So he could say, those that mourn will be comforted. Those that are pure will see God. And those who are meek will inherit the earth. So in the next 14 minutes, I want to give you two very simple statements and then we'll be done. Here's the first one. It would be wrong. It would be a mistake for you to assume that everything Jesus is talking about here is future. Everything he's talking about here is not future. You see, we live in a world which is dreaming of having more, doing less, and enjoying the good life. That's the philosophy of the world in which you live. That's where you're going to work tomorrow. That's the neighborhood where you live. It's the people you interact with. Having the good life. Doing more. Having more. Doing less. Jesus said, my folk, 
My people, they operate like this. The last will be first. First will be last. You want to save your life, you have to give it away. It's better to give than it is to receive. See, that's so countercultural. And it's hard to live that way in a world that's always trying to pull you into look after yourself. Fight for your rights. Stand up for yourself. If you don't advocate for yourself, nobody else will. And Jesus says, I got you. You don't have to fight for yourself. I got you. Give your life up. Give it to me. Allow me to be the one that gives you life. Not those in the world. Now look, I, I get it. Not everybody, even some of you sitting here this morning, you may already be making up your mind to say, if this is what Lake Erie is, I don't think this is the church for me. Not everybody is going to embrace the message and the call of Jesus. He said that. He said the gate was narrow and few there will be that find it. He's telling the disciples not everybody's going to buy into this. Not everybody that comes to church is looking for Jesus. Not everybody who's, who claps their hands and raises their hands is really about Jesus. I, I don't know how much I could confess here, Shelly. We may not be here another week. I don't know. When I was growing up in the church, I can tell you I wasn't going to church for Jesus. I was going to church for girls. I was a preacher's son. I told girl, I can't tell you how many girls I told, I think it's the will of God for us to go out. And what good girl wants to miss the will of God? Now there were a few that said, well, if that's the will of God, I don't want it. You know what occurred to me this week? I say this humbly. I don't, I don't say this with any attitude about it. I think some people just come to church because they want to get rid of the guilt and shame. They know their life is rotten. They know they're messed up. They don't know what to do about it. And so they come and there's something about the atmosphere, something about the place that allows them to feel freedom for a little while. I think there are some people who want to identify with faith. I think some people come to church just because they want to be identified with faith because it's the good thing to do. And we welcome everybody for whatever reason that you come, whatever the purpose of your coming is. We believe that our church should be open to every person, everybody, that has a desire to come. Another way to look at this is look through the scripture and look at the people who impressed Jesus. Who was it that impressed Jesus? A widow who put two mites in the offering. She impressed Jesus. That's all she had. A dishonest tax collector who was so riddled with his anxiety that he had to climb a tree to get a look at Jesus. 
a woman who had a string of five unhappy marriages, a man with leprosy, a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. These were the people that impressed Jesus. Now, they're not exactly what you would consider church folk. Why did they impress Jesus? I'll talk more about that in detail in two weeks. But there's something about these people that are specific. And Jesus is talking about them. He's saying that the poor in spirit, the mourning, the persecuted, the hungry, the thirsty, that they somehow have a particular advantage over, over others in the world. Now, they're not viewed by the world as having an advantage. But they have an advantage in the eyes of Jesus because they're desperate. They're desperate. And desperate people get the attention of Jesus. When was the last time that you were desperate for something from someone? When was the last time you were desperate for his presence? When was the last time you were desperate for the word of the, of the Lord? You see, Jesus says these people, they're desperate. And they're postured in a way that they fit the grace of God. They welcome God as a free gift. They don't pretend to be holy or virtuous. Desperate people don't disguise their needs or problems with a cloak of self-righteousness that they put on to make people think, I've got it all together. And Jesus said they're blessed because they're desperate. Because they want me more than anything else. Jesus turned the tables upside down and he says they're blessed. Not because they're poor. Not because they're mourning. Because Jesus, in fact, spent a lot of time healing these same people and restoring them. Their blessing is not that they're poor, hungry, mourning, or oppressed. Their blessing is that they don't depend on themselves. They have put their faith and their confidence For that reason, he says, they're blessed. They live a life that is completely dependent on the Lord. And that gets God's attention. Here's the, the second and final statement. The call of Christ in this passage is a call to the better way to live. I'll say it again. The call of Christ in this passage is the call to a better way to live. I think what Jesus is trying to say to you and I, to Lake Erie this morning, is that while the world thinks that you succeed with fame and fortune, the world thinks that the way to succeed is to have more. Jesus says, the people that are going to see God are the ones that are pure in heart. that mean? It means the window to see God and to know Him is through purity. Now contrast what Jesus is saying with a world 
whose siren calls deceive us to believe that personal choice and individual freedom is the pathway to enlightenment. That you should be able to choose to do whatever you want to do. You should be able to do whatever you want to do with your life regardless of what God's word says. Just choose your own path. We even now think there are many pathways that get to God. We are so deceived in this world. And Jesus said, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to see God, you have to be pure in your heart. Look at the idols of the world. The people who push the limits of morality. Who want to create the kind of society and the kind of temptations of a sinful life. Look at their lives, broken, despairing, addicted, tragic, empty. Because all of the things that they're chasing with their life are in fact dead-end roads. Jesus wants more for you. Now listen. You can sleep with anybody you want to sleep with. But you won't find what you're looking for. You can fill your body with any kind of artificial stimulant that you want, but you won't find what you're looking for. The trappings of this world will never give you what your heart longs for more than anything else. And that is fulfillment. The message of Jesus to this church, to every person who hears me today, to those of you watching online, is that God wants so much more for you. John chapter 8. Jesus is there with a group of men that are trying to trap him. And they drag a woman into the square that the Bible says they caught in the very act of adultery. And they throw her down in front of Jesus and they say to Jesus, you know what the law says? You know what the book says? We get to stone her. What do you think? Well, the law did say that. Jesus said, well, I've got no problem with you stoning her. Let's do it orderly. Let's start with the one who has no sin. Pick up a stone. You got no sin, you got the right to stone her. The Bible said they one by one, convicted of their own iniquity, dropped their rocks to the ground. Until it was just her and Jesus left. We don't know everything that was said. We know that Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. the liberty to tell you what I think she's trying to tell us. There's so much more out there for you than you'll find in this world. There's so much more out there that you can be. And I'm saying to someone in this house today, there's so much more that God wants for you. 
So much more than you can be. Don't let yourself be deceived. So I fin I'm finishing this morning with this idea that God's way is the better way. It may not feel like it. That's why we call it lucky is the unlucky. Because the world would say if you're poor, you're unlucky. If you're mourning, you're unlucky. If you're persecuted, you're unlucky. God would say, blessed as long as you understand that I am the source of life. You see, Jesus came to give us a better life. He said in his own words, he said, I've come that you might know life and that you might know it more abundantly. That's what God wants for you. It's what God wants for your marriage. It's what God wants for your family. It's what God wants for your career, the better life. How do we get there? We get there by pursuing after Him. We get there by investing ourselves in others. We get there by taking courageous stands. We get there by ministering to hurting and needing people. You know, it all comes down to choices. Jesus came to offer you and I the life that we were supposed to have until sin into the garden. And since then, we've been in the battle of choices to choose to act or live on our own or choose God's better way. So let me circle back to the original question, Jerome, if you would get ready to play. What does God want you to do with this message? Well, first of all, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, start there. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, if you've never given Him your life and told Him that you're sorry for your sins, start there. Because here's what we know. We know that God is graceful and merciful. And that He is willing to forgive if you ask. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful, just, to forgive us of all our sins. I'll never forget the day Billy Walter and I sat in an office with a young man who wanted salvation. We were trying to explain to him what salvation was. And I said to him, I said, young man, if you sincerely believe that God will forgive you of your sins, he will forgive you of all the sins that you have ever committed. I just remember the look on his face. He looked at Billy as if to say, is that really right? I mean, would God really do that? Yes, He will. Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of them. He will forgive all of them. If you give Him a chance. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.